From Miami Law, I'm Annette Uges, and this is The Explainer. So the tricky part is that the statute he's relying on contains the word and. This is not a word we think we should be debating too much. It's a very little word, but it is the subject of this dispute. Welcome back to the Miami Law Explainer, the legal affairs podcast where Miami law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. Several Supreme Court cases have hinged over the use of words. Jill Barton, the director of Miami Law's legal communications and research skills, writes about writing. Let's go to our executive producer, Catherine Skip, with the interview. Good morning, Jill. Good morning, Catherine. Nice to have you. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks. Thanks. So attorneys for Mark Pulsifer, an admitted methamphetamine dealer, asked the court to weigh in on the word and. Could you lay out the case for our listeners, please? Sure. So Mark Pulsifer pleaded guilty to distributing methamphetamine, and he relied on a federal statute to ask the trial court for a prison sentence that would be lower than the statutory minimum required. And that's based on a 2018 statute passed by Congress that was to expand what's known as the safety valve provision of federal sentencing statutes. And that allows offenders who would otherwise receive harsh mandatory minimum sentences to get lesser prison terms if they satisfy certain criteria. And the purpose behind that is to stop the over-imprisonment of nonviolent drug offenders. And Mark Pulsifer, the defendant here, said that he should qualify and he's arguing that he should get that safety valve here. So the tricky part is that the statute he's relying on contains the word and. This is not a word we think we should be debating too much. It's a very little word, but it is the subject of this dispute. So the statute that's at issue here allows a court to impose a sentence that's lower than the statutory minimum required if the court finds that the defendant does not have three criteria. And it lists those A, B, and C. And you notice I said that word and between the A, B, and C. (laughs) So Mr. Pulsifer's criminal history met two criteria. He meets A and B. He does not meet C. And no one on either side of this case disputes that that point. Mr. Pulsifer argues, though, that he should. He doesn't have to meet all of the criteria, A, B, and C. He Because he doesn't meet all three, A, B, and C, that he should receive the shorter sentence. Mm-hmm. Of course, the government disagrees. And the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Eighth Circuit held that Mr. Pulsifer should not receive that lower sentence because the statute means that a defendant should not have any of those three A, B, or C. Not that he must have all of them. And there's a dispute among the circuit courts on this point. So the case is now before the U.S. Supreme Court. The justices heard oral arguments in October, and they will decide that case sometime between now and the end of the term in June. And what was the argument about before the Supreme Court? In oral arguments, the court focused a lot on what the meaning of the word and really is the justices pointed to the need to look at the context of that entire statutory provision to understand what Congress really intended to mean with that provision. And they even looked at several everyday phrases to parse the meaning of the word and and when it might mean or. And Justice Elena Kagan, who is the expert in plain language, came out with a few really great hypotheticals or examples to illustrate this. She asked Mr. Pulsifer's attorney, In this hypothetical, she said, suppose you're going in for a medical test and you receive something from the hospital and it says 
To receive this test, the patient should not eat any food, drink any liquids, and smoke. So she says to the attorney, I'm going to assume you're not a smoker. And do you feel perfectly able then to eat and drink as much as you want? And he said, no, you know, this is a situation where your brain automatically corrects the sentence to hear the word or rather than the word and. And that's true. I think we would all agree with that. Right. But Elena Kagan immediately came back with a second example where we would feel the opposite. So the example she then gave was the phrase that we all know well, don't drink and drive. So in that phrase, we understand that we're not being told to don't drink, not to drink or not to drive. We're being told to don't drink and drive together, both of those things together. So we understand and to mean both of those things. So the struggle is really between determining what Congress intended to say. Does and mean all of these things or does it mean just one of these things? And looking at the context to really figure that out. Interesting. So if you were a betting person after the arguments, which way do you think it would go? It seems to be leaning in the government's favor, in part because we have a conservative leaning court. Justice Katanji Brown Jackson and Justice Sotomayor had questions that indicated that they might find in favor of the defendant. We can look at the purpose of this federal statute, which is to stop the over-imprisonment of nonviolent drug offenders. Mr. Pulsifer qualifies for that. He's 60 years old. He's going to be in prison through his 70s at this rate. But it's really anyone's guess because we don't know in this case what the word and means. It's not as clear as that statement. The patient should not eat any food, drink any liquids and smoke. And it's right. not as clear as don't drink and drive because we don't know what's meant. Right. We all know what's meant when we hear the phrase don't drink and drive. But we don't exactly know what's meant here. Mm -hmm. Wasn't there also a main dairy driver's labor case through the appeals court that rested on the plain little Oxford comma kind of humble milkman in the lowly comma? Like the name of a band, maybe. That is a great name of a, of a band. There have been a lot of cases about grammar. Each term, the court addresses a few cases about grammar. This one did not reach the U.S. Supreme Court. It was at the Court of Appeals. Um, but that's one where a grammatical, and it wasn't even an error because it was a specific choice to not use the serial comma. It cost millions of dollars in legal fees and damages. The dairy farm in that case agreed to a $10 million settlement because of that lack of the serial comma. So just to back up what that case is about for a minute, first I'll explain what the serial comma is in case some of our listeners don't know, but the serial comma, also called the Oxford comma, is a comma that we use to set off items in a series. So one of my favorite examples that I give to my students is this sentence, and I'll leave the Oxford comma or the serial comma out. My heroes are my parents, comma, Superman and Wonder Woman. So there's no serial comma in that. Without the serial comma, it implies that my parents are Superman and Wonder Woman. But, you know, I'm not from the planet Krypton. We know that's not the case, right? I have three sets of heroes. That's how we should read the, read the sentence that we, I have three sets of heroes. My parents in this fictional example, let's be honest, Superman and Wonder Woman. So there should be a comma separating each item in that series. The sentence should read with the serial comma. My heroes are my parents, comma, Superman, comma, and Wonder Woman. There's three of them. So there's no serial comma in this complicated main law that exempts when companies have to pay workers for overtime. So in this case, the law lists a series of activities. None of these 
the workers can get paid overtime for. Those activities included canning and preserving and freezing, and it had a whole list in this statute, all separated by commas, except of course the last two. There was no serial comma, separating the last item in the phrase, which was packing for shipment or distribution of. So without the serial comma before that word or, we, we have to look at whether we're gonna read packing for shipment or distribution of, and if we separate those two things. So the court found that that phrase referred only to the single activity of packing, as we can read that, just like I was saying with Superman and Wonder Woman being my parents. And the drivers, they didn't do the packing, lucky for them, they just did the distributing. So mm -hmm. without the comma there, separating those items into two separate things, they were eligible for overtime. And that obviously was a costly <laughs> uh, mistake in that in that um, law. And they received a settlement where they got their overtime pay. Oh, cool. So you write about writing. Is there a style book for the justices like the Chicago Manual of Style or the MLA? There is not a single book. There are a lot of books, so many books. And that was really kind of the problem. One of the problems in the dairy farm case, lawmakers there were following a book. They were following the main legislative drafting manual. And this is a book kind of like the AP style book. You know that this is a book that all Associated Press reporters and really all journalists to a large degree follow to figure out the right style and grammar on grammar questions. And so in that case, Maine lawmakers were following the Maine Legislative Drafting Guide. It cited five other guides to advise writers that they should not use the serial comma. This is outdated advice at best. There was a good intention there. Maine lawmakers were following this book right. in writing this law, but they left out the serial comma, which as legal writers, we should not do. Um, and in this case, with lawmakers following the wrong rule, it caused a lot of confusion a lot of time in court and a lot of money. Hmm. So you have a new book coming out uh, about writing. What's it going to cover? So this book was born out of the frustration over not having a clear answer. There's all this competing and conflicting writing advice out there. And we're lawyers and we have to be very precise in how we use words, how we use punctuation. We could go through many examples here where the word and or a comma or some kind of grammar choice has cost people a lot of money because of confusion. So when I couldn't get a clear answer based on the many books on my shelves, I just started looking to the best legal writers in the country, those nine justices on the U.S. Supreme Court to find answers. I looked at, well, how does the Chief Justice John Roberts do this? How does Justice Kagan write this? How does Justice Neil Gorsuch do this? Um, these really great legal writers. And I did find that never once do any of the justices leave out the serial comma. So the <laughs> takeaway there is that we should always use the serial comma. Perfect. So anything in closing? So in closing, I think the takeaway from this case involving the word and is that we can never be too careful. And we also can't look to the past to figure out what writing rules we should follow. We should really think about the common everyday understanding of everything we write, how we use words, how we use punctuation, because in the end, that seems to be the way the court is writing. They want their writing to be approachable and they want it to be entertaining too. Sometimes they'll use pop culture references and pithy sentences and short fragments. And 
they do this because they really care about writing and they care that they are putting forth their intended meaning so that you're never going to read an opinion where the justices use the word and in a way that's confusing. That's something that maybe we can look to in, in old statutes, <laughs> um, even though this is just from 2018. We have some confusion there. So we can look to these justices as examples of great legal writers and model our own writing after that. And then maybe we can all just be better writers for it. Great. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you, Catherine. It's been, a, it's been really fun. Thanks for joining us for The Explainer and a whole new season of Explaining. If you enjoy our show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Rady Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Uguez. Today's show was brought to you by Miami Law's Counseling Creators, Influencers, Artists, and Trendsetters Negotiation Competition and Conference, February 29th and March 1st on the Coral Gables campus. For more information, visit www.law.miami.edu. Thank you.